City Life Church exists to renew cities socially, spiritually, and culturally with the gospel of Jesus. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. And um, might have some people come in a little late, but um, just a program notice. Um, neither of us are city council members, unfortunately. Um, our city council uh, woman who is going to be with us canceled because of the water deal. And uh, they this week they're going to be considering some big projects to fix the water and to dedicate hundreds of millions of dollars about this water situation so she had to cancel on us um so anyway we're still going to try to get her she's uh really great and had some great conversations with her leading up to the event um but the water deal took everybody by surprise um so but since early voting has already started and the election is coming up um with or without our public our form on public faith, we decided to go ahead and have it and have some conversations. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll have, uh, Rachel and I will kind of have a conversation um, and then we'll dedicate 15 minutes, 20 minutes to your questions. Um, so if we bring something up, feel free to take notes and come back to the topic. Um, we really want it to be a conversation uh, after that, so, okay. <clears throat> So my name is John Sego. I serve as uh, an elder here at City Life Church in Austin, Texas. Um, thanks for joining us for another forum on public faith. Um, the, this is the ministry of the church that exists to help integrate our understanding of biblical truths with issues of public concern. And we believe uh, what we believe about God, what we believe he's doing in the world um, should have consequential effects on how we live our lives in public. Um, in the public square, how we deal with our so, uh, social and cultural issues. And so that's what we're here uh, for. This conversation is being recorded and will be posted on our website where you can find an archive of past forums uh, on a variety of issues. Our last one was on sexual assault and what the gospel has to say towards those who have suffered from sexual assault and how society should approach the topic. Um, you can find that at Austin City Life Dot org. Today we're talking about local government and elections and Rachel Van Hoover is uh, a partner at City Life Church and is joining me for the conversation. So um, let's just start Rachel with you introducing yourself to us uh, and telling us how we got to this conversation about yeah. local government and elections. Yeah, do you mind if I pray first? You know, that's a good call. Because I don't have much to offer other than that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll pray. Um, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather as brothers and sisters, as the family of Christ, um, to just consider um, these complex issues and politics well. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just guide us, um, that each one of us here would, uh, would be given discernment and wisdom um, to weigh what is said today. Um, against your word and, and through your wise counsel. And so, Lord, would you let this be a time that is glorifying to you um, and that would draw us closer to you and allow us to be, um, this could be just one expression of us being able to be uh, agents of city renewal as we talk through politics and, and what you have to say about it. So we just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Yeah, so I, I guess 
I am a, a partner here. My husband and I have been part of City Life for it'll be it's seven years now. And honestly, my like to even give you some background. I grew up. Uh, my family taught me that it was really valuable to vote. It was important to vote. Um, they also, as a cultural value, really. Um, highly elevated personal responsibility. So the way that played out politically is they definitely leaned conservative and Republican. Um, but as I became voting age and in, in my adult life, I just, I just really lacked confidence in, you know, I could look at both parties and be like, man, I can see good merits and bad merits on both sides. And I just don't really feel like I have a good framework to, intelligently thoughtfully consider candidates and bonds and different things that we're, we're voting on um, I can I hear opinions from family friends cokers media but I want a more firm horizon line and so even in this last year or two I think I've just been more convicted instead of like historically voting maybe when there's a presidential election um, just feeling convicted that I, I want to be more involved, um, but in a way that's um, with conviction and biblical conviction guided by the Spirit. And so I have been bugging John a lot <laughs> and saying, can we talk more about this? And so I think this is while we're here, how we got here. Yeah, <clears throat> and for context, I serve as, uh, as an elder here, but my job is in um, the public square. Um, I work for a nonprofit and lobby for legislation at a state level. And so uh, trying to bring these two um, together of how can Christians think well about politics has been a passion of mine for multiple years. Um, and so Rachel and I had have a, a lot of good conversations and uh, that's why she came to mind um, when we were trying to figure out you know, how we move forward with the event. Um, you said this thing about like wanting to get it right uh, your votes right with your faith. Usually people don't put those two together, their politics and their faith. Um, I mean, how did you get to the point where you saw you needed to think about politics in your voting yeah. in light of why you're, like, you know, in light of your Christian perspective? Yeah, I think there's a lot of connecting points there, but I think even just to ground it in uh, some foundational truths in scripture, um, Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, uh, Paul's speaking, he's like, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so I think just really recognizing that all of life is spiritual. God's authority reigns over all of it. Um, it. It's been created by Him and it's for His glory. And our job as followers of Christ is to glorify Him in all aspects of our life. And so even viewing politics as an act of worship and an opportunity to commune with the Spirit to be a light not only in our relationships, not only in our jobs, not only in our neighborhoods, but in the way that we think about government and politics. Yeah, how does that, are there key things that has, that's changed that 
you weren't doing before when you were looking at politics, but when you started thinking about it as worship uh, that have changed on how you engage politics? Yeah, I think that um, one thing is like politics is really hard to talk about. Like, I mean, everywhere you look, like there's a lot of hostility. I think people don't feel comfortable speaking up because they're not sure who they're going to offend or you know, people have very strong opinions and are very emotionally charged. And so um, I think especially like thinking about how we see in the political landscape, if you think about just social media in general, general, it's pretty ugly. And it's ugly on all, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of sin that we see believers, non-believers and how they engage in, into the, to the gospel. And so I think for me, um, one thing is that looking at the God, looking at the political landscape, if God is our perfect authority, um, there our government has been created by um, imperfect people, sinful, broken people. Therefore, both sides of government are broken and sinful, and so there is no party that fully embodies the perfect reign and rule of Christ, period. And so we can be, that should cause us to pray and cry out to the Lord and, and rejoice in the day that he returns. But here in the here and now, um, it, it should humble us to recognize that um, I'm going to have friends, I'm going to have family members and co-workers that are followers of Jesus, spirit-filled that are going to vote differently than me because they, they believe um, that the gospel can be worked out in different ways in our city, locally, and obviously f federally. So you're saying like <clears throat> worshiping God with your voting, with how you engage in politics, that seems like that would raise the bar, like can make it more stressful that I don't understand all these propositions. Like, and, but you're saying it does the opposite. Like it, it, you shouldn't be anxious about it. Like, how do you see both of those sides? Because it's like, well, I want to glorify the Lord in this. What if I get it wrong? But you're saying, I don't have to be upset that there's people that disagree with me. Well, because there is no right and wrong, right? Like, the establishment of government is broken and, and is not going to be perfect. So we're not going to be able, any one of us is not going to vote right. Right. You know, what's right is, is prayerfully following the Lord in conviction and prayerfully asking him how how should how do you want me to vote and be obedient and less about yeah we won or my <laughs> side won or i'm right and you're wrong mm -hmm. if that is that good yes <laughs> uh yeah i like the uh so we're gonna worship God with it mm -hmm. and you're talking about glorifying the Lord with your heart so the wanting to glorify the Lord when we get into this topic mm -hmm. is more of a motivational what is my motive in going to the to yeah. the vote and so by that getting me into uh, the voting so like you know in the voting line my motivations there that's what you're talking about mm -hmm. and now we have like that's kind of formal mm -hmm. is like okay I have to get there um, now it's like, well, what do we do when we get actually see all these bonds? Um, you know, in Austin, Texas, we have 
uh, on our, we have all these propositions, and most of them are bonds. There's a couple of extra items. You know, there's this long list of things that we're looking at of whether we like this idea or oppose this idea on our ballot. Um, they're very specific, uh, and so you know, bringing there's definitely an aspect of bringing biblical wisdom into that as well. Um, but you seem to be like more focused on glorifying the Lord with your motivation. Right. Yeah, I think it, that's where it starts because I think you have to be humble in the process because there's a lot of, there's just an opportunity to be divisive. Um, I think about um, what can happen really easily is that we dehumanize each other. We forget that we're all created in the image of God. We forget that God has asked us to be uh, slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, um, to treat each other with dignity. Um, and it seems like we can kind of throw that out the window if someone disagrees with us. Um, and, and the fact that, I, I think that, so we have to have that humble framework of like, I'm not doing this to be right, or to, uh, to affiliate with uh, a, an authority. Um, my affiliation is first and foremost to the greatest authority, which is God, and I want to honor Him above any affiliation outside right. of that. And so right. I have to carry myself in that way. But to your point, how do I vote on this bond? Like, you know, like that's maybe my framework to entering into the political landscape, but how do I, what's that framework for me to like think about, what are some biblical principles yeah. for us to think about these different candidates, what they stand for, and these bonds that we're, we're voting on? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, taking it seriously. Um, so glorifying the Lord, going and voting, but going and voting arbitrarily is not stewarding your uh, responsibility well. So doing, you know, I think to glorify the Lord, we have to uh, steward our political authority well and uh, to realize that we are in a unique situation, uh, historically speaking, um, with the amount of political authority that we all have. Um, there's a uh, research uh, kind of think tank called Freedom House, and they look at how much political authority individuals, pe individuals had throughout human history. And we are in the minority of human history of having such an influence and so many protected rights to shape our government. Um, and I think, you know, we kind of overlook that. So in the Bible, when it says kings establish justice, when it says rulers do X, Y, and Z, in our context, those passages those strong imperatives like Psalm 10, uh, Psalm 82, those are about us as voters, as citizens. Uh, and so it would be a, a, like if you, got, um, if you got a letter in the mail that some far off distant aunt or uncle who was a dictator in a country in Eastern Europe died and they've given you this kingdom and now all of a sudden you are sitting on the throne. You're the monarch of this you know, country you've never heard of on the other side of the world. If that happens to you, uh, you would take that responsibility very seriously. You would think, how am I going to rule justly? How am I going to run this place, you know, this country justly? And it's a crazy example, but thinking about like the sense, like how would you respond to that? You wouldn't say, no thanks. You wouldn't leave that letter in the mail, you know, leave that in the, um, the mail pile. Like, you would take that responsibility very seriously. And essentially that's what's happened in America. With the way we have our system is like, we've been giving an incredible amount of political authority. We are sitting on the throne. 
their ability to, um, to engage our city council members, our ability to actually vote, our ability to write them, to ask them to vote certain ways, that is political authority. And we need to acknowledge that because it's so common for us. We kind of think, ah, oh, if I have time or if I feel strongly about this candidate or that candidate, or if I really want to stop that national candidate, you know, maybe I'll go vote. Um, but we have to really think of like, we've been providentially, God has designed history that we're here in this moment, not in most of human history where we have rulers that don't care what you and I think. Uh, so I think that raises the, how do I worship the Lord with it is I take it seriously. And that means uh, actually looking at what am I voting for? How am I voting? It's very easy, especially now, to find your ballot, your exact ballot online before you go and vote to see what questions are going to be there. Uh, and that's how we got to all these propositions uh, and reading them. And they're all like a paragraph long and they're all really confusing and so you have to read them a couple of times. And so it's like taking it seriously, okay, I'm voting. Uh, there's a lot of skepticism of like, well, um, you know, how many thousands of people are going to vote? Does my one vote really make the difference? That's not the right question. It's not a pragmatic question. It's a theological question. Like, are we stewarding our authority well? So I think like that adds to like the the, the worshiping God, uh, not just in going and doing it, which is good, but also doing it well, doing it informed. Uh, uh, but so far, as you mentioned, we haven't given you any content, any substance. Um, so there are uh, there are several lenses, biblical lenses, that you and I have talked about mm -hmm. that we can actually helps us get to how should we vote mm -hmm. on the ballot. Uh, and the first one, the, bi the biggest one, is seeing politics as loving your neighbor. Um, this is one that you've talked about being really formative for you as you've gotten more convicted about glorifying the Lord in, in uh, politics. Um, tell us how does that work, you looking at how you can love your neighbor through politics. Yeah, I think especially in local government, uh, about a year ago, uh, a group of us from City Life went to this uh, Q Commons event, and there was a, uh, I don't even remember who the guy was, but he, he was in government, and he just did a demonstration of like, based on how many people are in the room, we're going to all stand up and we're going to whittle it down to the amount of people who vote on local issues consistently, and that, like how much influence these people have, and it was like, a room of 200 and it was boiled down to like four people in terms of like you know proportionately to the population so these four people are influencing everything from your water to your the air you breathe to how things are built and all of that and I was like oh dang like that's like going back to your whole like this privilege that we have we need to take it seriously like most of us aren't involved on local government um, in, in helping and having that access to help shape it. And I think for me, um, really being challenged that as a white middle class Austinite, my um, purview of my neighbor is very homogenous and limited, but I have a lot of neighbors in Austin, mm -hmm. economically different, um, culturally different, ethnically different, um, all across, you know, geographically, and their realities are much different than mine. And so uh, when I'm looking at different bond issues, I think it's natural tendency to be like, what's in it for me? What's the bottom line for me? How do I benefit? But 
my my neighbors realities are different yeah. and I have to actually go out of my way to understand who my neighbors are that are different from me and how these things impact them and that takes effort you know and that takes you know a collective uh, body to help uh, expose those things and that's been really challenging for me um, in that respect. So thinking about how does this proposition affect my family, my budget, but you're saying also like how does this affect my neighbors, how does this affect the city, um, not necessarily just kind of self-interest. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's take a practical example. Uh, on the local ballot this election, uh, should I support a ballot proposition that authorizes the city of Austin, uh, a city of Austin bond of up to $128 million for renovating uh, or creating new libraries, museums, and cultural art facilities. How do you answer that question? So great, John. <laughs> well, first I'd start off with uh, saying that Ian and I would like to take a yearly vacation for two weeks in Europe. Sounds great. Let's do it. Why not, right? But there's like all these implications to it, right? Like there's a reason we don't take two weeks every year to go to Europe. Mm -hmm. Like there's other things that contribute to the reality of that. And I think bonds, I've noticed, are worded in such a way that sounds so good on the surface. Like who doesn't want libraries and museums that are <laughs> renovated and new? Like of course that would be good for the whole of the city. But I think, you know, we have to ask some really serious questions and do some digging to like what does that exactly mean? And what's the impact uh, financially and so forth? And I think you could even probably chime in a little bit more on some of those things to consider specifically in this one. Yeah, so the, the idea is like, well, who doesn't love a new library or a renovated library? Who doesn't love a new museum? Um, but loving my neighbor is like the whole picture. It's not easy. And even on loving my neighbor is like good, uh, it, it, you know, my neighbor has two kids and they're school age kids. And so, yeah they go to the library. They'll benefit from new museums. Like, oh yeah, of course, loving them means let's build all the libraries, let's build all the museums. But the idea of loving my neighbor also is being, like you were saying, uh, you have like, um, like prudence and uh, just like this biblical wisdom also of like for your family budget, the types of things like you were saying is like just because we want something doesn't mean we can afford it. Uh, like that, that implication also, like what economic consequences will there be for my neighbor if we sign up for all of the bonds? If we say yes to all of the bonds on the ballot, uh, it's going to be over $900 million for, for the Austin uh, city government. So what financial impact does that have on my neighbor? Is that going to increase uh, tax burden? Is that going to affect property value? What is that outcome? So the question of just loving my neighbor isn't just like, yeah, sure, free stuff for my neighbors, new stuff in the city for my neighbors. It's a lot more complicated than that. Um, and, and we can disagree on that. I mean, we can, we can both argue, you know, we can argue on separate sides of the question, but the thing you and I, Christians, we have to agree on is we're trying to love our neighbor well. Some who lean conservative will think, well, financially, are we setting our city up to have uh, unaccounted for debt? And then some who may lean more liberally think, well, we want our city to flourish in education and uh, in these cultural opportunities. And so that is loving my neighbor. We can disagree on yes or no on the ballot, but our reasons for it have to be the same. 
that we want the best for our neighbor. And we have to be prudent enough looking at biblical uh, ethics about budgeting, being a good steward, being a hard worker, uh, these types of things of the bo both sides of the proposition. Um, there's also the priority issue you brought up earlier when we were talking about this, is this is about libraries and museums. Uh, and you were, you were saying like there are other priorities mm -hmm. that. Well, I mean, even this is why it's good to be able to have a, a place to talk about it because there are implications that I won't think about on my own necessarily or just between my husband and I researching. But like even in this in this case or if you think about all of the, the bonds, if they all pass, like gentrification is a huge issue on the east side. And uh, we can get into a lot of history of segregation and why um, ownership of homes is very significant for pe uh, people of color, especially African Americans in Austin. And then thinking about if their taxes continue to raise and they're forced out of their homes, it's all implications. That's like one aspect to consider about loving your neighbor. And there's a, there's a plethora of other um, ways we could consider how do we love our neighbor and, and the implications of this. And so I think that's, to just reinforce, like it is important to be able to have people with differing opinions but agree on the biblical foundations because it, it opens my eyes to consider a, a more full picture of, of these issues. But in terms of prioritization, um, it's hard. I don't know <laughs> what to say. It's hard. I don't know if there's a black and white um, cut and dry and it might look differently. Um, I know we talked a little bit about a few more biblical frameworks um, and, and prioritization in, in light of that. I don't know if you want me to, if we want to jump in sure. first or second, but w maybe prioritization will come after this next biblical framework because another big one for me was justice. Yeah. And I would love to hear your thoughts on the biblical framework of justice and how that lends to, to look at government. Yeah, so. Uh, Glorify God in everything. Um, steward your political authority well. Loving your neighbor, using politics to love your neighbor. Um, another aspect is just our call to do justice. Um, Bible, the scripture repeatedly tells us to do justice, to establish justice. We have, um, the Lord identifies one of his core characteristics as a God of justice and tells us to make sure our societies um, reflect that. And so, in Christian circles in the last decade or so, there's kind of been a renaissance of uh, justice talk, discussion about what it means for us to do justice. And there's been a lot of books written about this. Um, and so uh, I, I think this is a good, something for us to think about and um, another biblical lens for us to think about it. One important aspect is that our justice, our call to do justice is more than politics. It, you know, our call to establish justice in our city applies to um, how I treat my neighbor. Um, it applies to how I view that, um, the, the homeless guy at, when I stopped at a stoplight. Um, it applies to what nonprofits I'm giving to. Um, it applies, I mean, justice is so much more, but it includes politics. Um, a simple kind of biblical definition of justice is um, deserving uh, or receiving what you deserve. So when you're walking up Congress Avenue and you see, you know, the perfect is uh, the weather is perfect, and you see the Capitol there um, shining in all its glory, uh, 
you, you, like your instinct is to take your phone out and take a picture of it. And then like when you get inside a building, you look back at your phone or your Instagram post and you're like, that picture didn't do the building justice. Like what you're saying is like that experience I had looking at the Capitol building deserves more than this like 2D, really unimpressive, you know, stereotypical picture on the screen. Um, that's a biblical notion of justice is like, like deserving more than what you're receiving. So the Bible uh, tells us to do justice to vulnerable populations, people who are systematically not receiving what they deserve. So in the Bibli Old Testament context, it was like the widows were a huge one because they didn't have uh, financial income when if their husband died, uh, they were kind of left out of society. So doing justice to widows is making sure they're cared for. We see that throughout, like in narratives about Ruth and Boaz, for example. We also have immigrants. There were no rights for immigrants in most Near Eastern countries, uh, ancient Near Eastern countries. So if you were an immigrant from another country and you went to a city where you didn't belong, uh, you didn't have the protection of the government. Uh, so you were open to all kinds of scandal. You were open to um, being, you know, uh, beaten and robbed, and you know the governing authorities didn't care because you weren't theirs. You know, you were an immigrant. So that's why we see immigrants mentioned so many times in these Old Testament prophets. Um, and then the poor was the the third one for the Old Testament. Um, those who uh, have don't have a trade. Who those who don't have the skills to um, to survive in that type of society in the Old Testament and that. And so the Bible identifies these three kind of classes of vulnerable people and says, do justice to them. Give them what they deserve. And as a human being, they deserve you know, dignity. Um, the widows deserved income with kinsmen redeemers. Um, the immigrants deserved our respect and our protection. Um, and, and so our society, the, the vulnerable look a little bit different. They're a little bit different categories because of the way our society works. But that call to justice is the same. Um, you've seen that, like mercy ministry, as a part of that call to justice outside of politics for the vulnerable. What? How have you seen justice uh, in the mercy ministry? Yeah, I, yeah. I think one thing is what's really great. Um, it's it's sometimes really challenging as a. First, tell us what Mercy Ministry is. Okay, so Mercy Ministry, here at City Life, um, we have uh, groups of people that gather geographically every week and do life together. Um, and, and, and collectively, they go and serve the city through a Mercy Ministry, so typically uh, targeting the marginalized. So that might be um, in the South, um, loving on um, people in a low-income housing area. Our city group specifically, um, partners with a single foster mom who's fostering three uh, children. Um, others work at or volunteer at a senior citizen home and so forth. So just loving and, and serving people in the city that are often neglected or forgotten. Um, one thing it, that's really beneficial, even though it's hard, is that it is an, an opportunity to uh, maybe meet our neighbors that we would not otherwise engage with, um, which is really important. But two, I think one thing that's been really helpful for me is recognizing that mercy and justice go hand in hand, even though they're, they're unique. And so our city group, for example, um, we are engaged in this uh, foster family's life uh, several times a month. 
um, with our time and our resources. We are providing mercy in physical ways by, by supporting them. But the realities are um, they, uh, those three foster kids are part of a greater social issue and there are institutions that are in place that are good and bad, either helping support their thriving or hindering them in some way. And so even to think about, I can give mercy um, and to help give them and provide for their felt needs, what they deserve, mm -hmm. but there is an injustice that's complex and there's a lot of things that go into the injustice. Um, so how can we also um, find ways to um, help address those injustices and one way is through government and voting and yeah. being involved. <clears throat> yeah, so justice is a bigger calling for the Christian, yeah. but it includes politics. And so yeah. when we come to these propositions, we need to look at who is vulnerable in our city yeah. and how can a government influence these. And on the ballot, we have, there are several uh, propositions that kind of get to this about low-income housing um, and uh, about water infrastructure and things like that that are caring for those and you know that would affect mostly people in our city who are uh, vulnerable mm -hmm. and who systematically are overlooked like uh, the low-income housing ones uh, propositions that we've talked about yeah. and to, to to reinforce your point earlier um, again we can all agree on like God is a God of justice and he wants to use us to usher his kingdom here on earth by ushering justice mm -hmm. in and mercy. But p from a political standpoint, the way in which we go about solving these complex issues and injustices might end up looking like we vote differently. Mm -hmm. Even though we believe in the same thing, the way in which we think that that could maybe be addressed could play out differently, and that's okay. Yep. And I think that's really important to say and emphasize. Yeah, as long as Christians, as as long as we're open for you asking me the hard questions about like, how do I think my voting no on this is going to establish justice, mm -hmm. or what is the answer I would like to see mm -hmm. through politics? As I mean, we have as long as we have that common language that we're both seeking mm -hmm. justice, we're both seeking to respect these vulnerable mm -hmm. uh, neighbors. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, like that's the thing we have in common even though uh, and and it may be in in the grace of the church there may be conversations that end up is like oh like I need to say yes to that mm -hmm. um, I was saying no just because you know of my political disposition is to say no to things mm -hmm. um, like you know but like challenging that as long as we can do it by based on like biblical principles and not just oh well you're on that team and I'm on this team so of course you say no and I say yes mm -hmm. so I think that's like it gives us a common language to appeal to each other and like have a better understanding of these issues. Mm -hmm. So, um, anything else on the justice? Well, <laughs> there's a lot, but um, you know, even looking at the political parties, you can see that generally speaking, uh, Republicans might be more sensitive to certain justice issues and, and Democrats would be sensitive to other justice issues. So how do you like navigate that? And how would you even like going to like the whole prioritization of justice yep. in the political realm? Like how do you go, I mean, how do you even, where do you start? What do you do? Yeah, I think that's important is like all of these lenses don't tell you yes or no on the ballot. It, and, and it doesn't tell you to vote Republican or Democrat on the ballot. 
um, but it helps inform like how we engage that. And this is a real one because there are vulnerable populations that the Republicans are more sensitive to. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about uh, you know the preborn children, thinking about um, family structures, mm -hmm. thinking about economic stability for families. Like there are justice issues that Republicans are more sensitive to, uh, and uh, you know uh, things like religious liberty. Um, I mean, there, there are, are these types of justice issues that affect all of us. Um, and then there are the Democrats that are also appealing to justice when it comes to uh, the immigrants, when it comes to protecting um, uh, uh, the homeless, you know, how do we deal with uh, a homeless population, um, racial justice, uh, you know, things that are uh, also appealing to justice and to biblical principles. And so I think like that's one thing as Christians, um, living in, you know, the kingdom of God and our secular city, this is just an area where it's messy, is there is not, the Bible doesn't endorse one party. It doesn't endorse a yes or a no on the proposition. Um, and in light of that, you know, biblical principles cut straight down the party lines, is that the Democrats do glorify the Lord in their platform in many different areas. The Republicans glorify the Lord in their platform in very different areas, but nobody's getting it 100%. And we just have to be comfortable with that. Um, and, and so what we have to do is we have to, one, um, vote our conscience, vote, uh, you know, look at what passions the Lord has given us. Um, if, the, if the Lord has given you a deep passion for racial reconciliation, for the immigrant, um, for uh, real solutions to homelessness, uh, that may mean you vote more, dem uh, more liberal. Um, if the Lord has given you a conscience for things like uh, you know, economic stability for our, our families, for protecting religious liberty, for fighting for the integrity of the family, for preborn children, you may vote more conservative, typically. Um, that's okay, is following, glorifying the Lord with the conscience he's given you as long as we're actively working to inform our conscience. So you can't just say, oh, I voted my conscience, we're, I'm off the hook. As long as your conscience does line up to the Bible, and the reason you're motivated to the left or to the right is because of biblical principles. Um, and that's a, a lot of times that conversation drops short of like, well, you can vote that way, I can vote this way, as long as you're you know, glorifying the Lord in your own way, and I'm glorifying. You know, it's not that subjective as we, we do have the Bible, which gives us principles. And I need to be able to justify my politics. I need to be able to point to why I vote this way. Um, but it's messy. Uh, it's very difficult. Um, the last presidential election was a train wreck. Um, we had a forum on public faith about the election, uh, the presidential uh, aspect of the election specifically because of this because it, we, there was just so much wrapped up in there. We're trying to divide out, how can I glorify the Lord with this impossible decision um, in, in, uh, in the presidential election? And unfortunately, um, that is usually the way politics are gonna be, is uh, it's gonna be messy and it's not gonna be perfect. Um, and so we have to seek to inform our conscience. And then there's something, you know, a little bit of a triage, is what is the biggest Situation. What is the biggest political issue in front of us? What is the biggest question that we uh, need to address? And I will side with a political party um, for this. You know, in doing the triage, 
for me and my wife, it's we are most sensitive um, to, or, or you know, because of the conscience the Lord has given us, um, we are very sensitive towards justice for pregnant women, preborn children, vulnerable patients, um, and other issues um, related to bioethics, and that's where my job is. And so my conscience will keep me from supporting, uh, in most cases, supporting a party or a candidate uh, that endorses uh, elective abortion, embryo destroying research, or euthanasia. Those are attacks on human dignity that we, the Lord has given us such a passion for. I can't violate my conscience in that way. But I am ex- extremely sympathetic to my neighbors, or to my uh, brothers in Christ, who as passionately and as deeply care about the orphans, as passionately and deeply care about homeless, uh, you know, long-term hope solutions um, to that, that they see the rhetoric from the Republican Party about that dehumanizes. So maybe your politics are humanizing, but they say your rhetoric's not. You know, how you're talking about immigrants, how the Republican Party talks about the LGBT community, uh, or just women in general. And so their conscience doesn't allow them to get over the, the rhetoric, and that's where it stops. I completely sympathize with that, and I think that's the kind of conversation we have to be comfortable with. Um, it's messy. Uh, I would love for us to find this, you know, um, overlooked chapter in the Bible that you know lays out a political platform for us. Um, that would be great, uh, b- but it doesn't have it, and, it, and it's um, it's difficult to figure out. You know, so so we have to be prudent. We have to have pragmatism, um, and then priority. You know, from us it's a numbers game, is looking at the vulnerable uh, populations that we're drawn towards. Those vulnerable populations in Texas outweigh these other social justice issues that we care about. Um, and it's messy and, and you don't feel good about it at the end. You're like, well, I picked the, the least terrible decision on the ballot. Um, but I mean, after Genesis 3 in the fall, that's really all we're left with. <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, this is why it's important to go back to the beginning of what we talked about is if this is an act of worship, if we are doing this unto the Lord to glorify Him, then I don't have to uh, cringe or um, bow up in arrogance or try to like prove my point in a sinful manner. Um, with my brother or sister, um, but I can say I need to engage with whether I, <laughs> whether in that moment I view you as an enemy or not, right? Like I need to engage you with grace and love and generosity um, and to be a good listener and to be humble. I need to be humble um, and to recognize that this all needs to be bathed in prayer. We, we have the Holy Spirit in us Um, the greatest counselor and we have to be okay to live in that tension that as you're seeking the Lord um, humbly and I'm seeking the Lord humbly we may agree on things and we may disagree on things and that's okay Um, because again this we're there is not a perfect uh, representation of God's reign and rule on earth until he comes back and so maybe it'll help us pray for God to come back sooner, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, with I said, John, like, um, I'm like checking our time. The, I mean, obviously we have not, I mean, this is just 
we're just starting the conversation, so to speak. This is not by any means exhaustive, but just kind of helping start that foundation and framework. But um, like, what would you say would be like a takeaway for everyone to have? I mean, obviously we're gonna have questions and all that, but like, what would you want to encourage people in as they walk away uh, today from this? Yeah, I think the call to Stuart it well, uh, that's work. I mean, you, you were joking about like, you, your Netflix, uh, your, your time on Netflix has, yeah, consumption has definitely dropped in the last two weeks as you're studying these propositions. Like, that's a sacrifice we owe our city. Like, the Lord has given us, like, the ability to research these things and to steward our political authority well. And so, doing that in earnest, not just like, you know, uh, you know, check on our phone as we're... a pretty picture. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, so... Yeah, whatever sign we see driving into the poll place. Like, but taking it seriously, um, engaging one another to do that. Uh, so, so like, you know, glorifying the Lord in those times of trying to figure out, okay, really, what do I think about these propositions? Um, what do I think about these candidates that are on there? Uh, Going to be on, you know, on the ballot. Uh, I think that's the one. But then also, like, um, thinking about politics from the lens of loving my neighbor and how does this policy not just affect my family, which that is a biblical way to think. I'm, I'm a father, uh, I'm a husband, so I do need to think about how my property taxes are going to affect my family. Um, whether I can um, raise my family the way I want. There are sometimes state laws that are being debated that would affect how I educate my children, whether we can homeschool, um, whether we, they can go to the charter school that we think is best for them. Like, so, sometimes there is a very biblical drive of, yes, I need to protect my family and politics is, you know, uh, state laws can affect my family. And so that's a biblical lens to look at. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, thinking of my neighbors, of really what is in their best good, or what is in their, um, yeah, what is kind of the best thing to do for them um, financially, socially. You know, there are some propositions that um, just are demeaning. They just, they just send the wrong message. They teach my neighbors untruths. Like, it, it might not be a financial aspect, but the city council is, you know, passing things that is just telling, you know, untruths to my neighbor. Like that's an aspect. I love my neighbor. I don't want them to um, have to be subject to hearing these like discriminatory policies, you know, things that show that not all humans are created equal. Um, like that's another thing I can love my neighbor by thinking of that. Um, so, so just really engaging that rich category of loving your neighbor through politics. Um, and then the justice aspect of who in our city um, deserves the most and is not receiving it. I was really easy on like the, the justice side of like providing for people. There is a justice side of like, if you do wrong, you deserve punishment. Um, that's, that is a side of the justice we kind of f flew over. So like criminal reform, um, uh, you know, criminal jurisdiction, uh, jurisprudence reform, like that aspect of, of the um, equation is also a just is that we are taking attacks, you know, things like sexual assault seriously, mm -hmm. that our laws reflect that, mm -hmm. that our state uh, that our uh, city policies reflect that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so there is a justice aspect of that, of, you know, harming others needs to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. That's a justice issue also. Um, but yeah, so, so using those lens, uh, taking those lenses seriously, I think is the biggest, the biggest takeaway. Um, yeah. Do you want to? <laughs> Do you want to? Are we good for or yeah? I, I'm good. If we okay. want to open up yeah, for open John to answer questions, questions. <laughs> I don't have answers. So we're clearly professionals. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, Shelly. Um, I don't know how to form this into a question. It's really a frustration. It feels <laughs> Yeah. Watch. And even when I listen to someone, what I tend to do is like I find someone whose life to me looks fruitful, like that they they seem to be on top of it. And then I'm like, okay, what are you voting for? I kind of want to go with that because I don't know how to, you know, everyone frames their, you know, even how those things are worded. Pretty much marketers are doing it, right? Yeah. Because so, there's a reason they're putting it on the ballot. So how do how do I navigate that? Like I don't have a you want to plug Tuesday night? Well, Shelly, <laughs> I totally agree with you. I feel like I'm a newbie in all of this, um, but Tuesday night, um, my husband Ian and I were opening up our home to uh, talk through the bond specifically. Um, people are volunteering to kind of do preliminary research on a bond and then kind of... the bonds, all the propositions. All the propositions, yes, thank you. And, and to be able to say, Here's kind of, if you vote yes, here's what you're voting yes to. Here are the basic facts. And then we can kind of dialogue like, well, what are the implications of loving your neighbor? What are some things to consider? And is there, is there a justice issue involved? So just to, to have discourse about it. Um, that doesn't necessarily answer you specifically in terms of sorting through, like, who's paying for this article and who's, so you know, and all that kind of stuff. But that is one step to at least even help uh, spread out the burden of researching all of these things and to be able to ha hopefully have some diversity in the room of thought and um, opinions to be able to work through it together. Yeah, so that's a huge thing. Tuesday night, we're going to try to get more in the, the gritty, like, in the gritty of like, each proposition. Um, and that's what we're trying to do is represent, okay, here's an art article against it. Here's an article for this. Uh, and like on, uh, well, yeah. And, and then kind of like, how do we start thinking through that? I think like, think about how whenever you're at coffee with a friend and they're sh like pouring their heart out about a trial or a really hard time in their life, how do you know you said the right thing? You don't. You don't know that you gave them the exact right biblical verse for that. But do you walk away and like, oh my gosh, did I do the right thing? Is their life ruined now? No. Like you can trust the Lord that like, <laughs> okay, well you shouldn't. You shouldn't feel that way. Like the grace that like we're seeking to glorify the Lord, but we're also sinners. It, and so it, it kind of like, that was the thing earlier about like raising the stakes, it's worship, but lowering the stakes and like, you know, there is grace in it. God is over us. And at the end of the day, what happens in Austin, Texas um, is not gonna take God by surprise. Remember, uh, Romans 13 says that God appoints every political authority. Like there is no one in power that he did not want there. That's really hard to believe right now. Um, but he has put political authorities in place, including us as voters. And so um, there is a bit of grace. I mean, there's a lot of grace to receive in that. Um, but taking it like we do another thing, like, okay, Lord, I'm seeking to glorify you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to stumble along the way. And I, may, I might, you know, change my mind in six months that, okay, I shouldn't have voted that way or I shouldn't have supported this candidate. Um, that, that, this, it's not up to you. 
you know, the, the Lord is sovereign and he's calling us to obey, um, but we're not perfect. And so, so lowering the, the stakes a little bit, but also in community, um, you know, best practices, talking to people that you know are on the other side of the aisle or do lean politically in a different, asking them, hey, we both agree, in the, agree with the Bible, or we both uh, honor, you know, want to honor the Bible in this. How do you see this? Okay, well, this is how I see it, and, and, and have that conversation. Um, that's the best we're going to do. And I think, I think just having, I have to remind myself, like, the joy of obedience is better than uh, putting my weight in, like, the outcome or the fruit. Mm. I, like, Jesus takes care of the fruit. I just get to be obedient. And so uh, even if you're obediently voting differently than me or you're the same, like, I get to just be like, I might have felt like a failure in this, but I was obedient. And, like, thank you for the opportunity to be obedient. Yep. How do we engage our uh, neighbors that view differently than we do? Uh, I feel like there hasn't really been a more expressive time to be a participant in government than the recent years, uh, probably starting with uh, the Barack Obama um, era, because we have social media. so. And you're thinking like, um, yeah, uh, I think the humility. I hate your views, but I love you. <laughs> How do we find place in the middle of <laughs> um, I think the humility, the humility first is like, this is why I think the way I think. Um, Can you repeat the question, please? Oh, sorry. Uh, how do we how do we engage a conversation with somebody who disagrees with us, right? And uh, especially whenever strong, uh, strong opposition. tensions are high. Yeah, um, I think being humble and just articulating the motives behind our vote. Um, and so we really are trying to love our neighbor. And even though I'm saying no, I might you know. Well, yeah, just explaining how you got to that or, or explaining, hey, we agree. What do we agree on? You and I agree that humans should be valued and protected. Now, you're more sensitive towards this vulnerable. I'm more, you know, to this vulnerable class. I'm more sensitive to this vulnerable class. But we agree on things like that. And even if you're not a believer, uh, even if you don't, aren't looking to the Bible, there is in our city, there is this human rights feel. We want to protect human rights. We want to value humans. And a lot of the political uh, conflict is about a class of individuals that uh, we're pointing to and saying they're not being elevated enough. They're not being protected or valued enough, whether it's the LGBT community, um, whether it's immigrants, um, whether it's refugees, whatever it is, the, a lot of the thing is um, 
but we got to get back to the basics. And even there's a, you know, a, there is a worldview that our city does have about the value of humans. And I think that's an extremely um, unifying principle. And as long as we can go to these, and these are biblical principles. I mean, the image of God, the concept of image of God, we talked about this on a different forum on bioethics, really digging into this idea of the what is the doctrine of the image of God. That means that we need to protect all these humans. We need to value innocent human life. Um, it looks different on the different sides of the aisle. But starting there, of like core basic things, whenever we talk to our neighbors um, who disagree with us on controversial issues, that's where we start. And we agree on the principles, and then we can work our way up there. Do you have? Um, I mean, I think you get to see it as an investment into people. It's less about like uh, having to defend yourself or prove yourself. I mean, you know, I think about people that are like, I hate Christians, and you're like, here I am. You know, like <laughs> they have this construct of Christianity, and they've been hurt or whatever. They have. So I mean, just even be able to, whether it's politics or other things that they have strong opinions that are in opposition of you. I think it's just prayer, asking the Spirit for help, and obviously humility, and just even seeing it as an investment um, to be a good listener. I think a lot of times people just want to be heard. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of see what's underneath that manifestation of uh, you know emotions. Is like, oh, they're scared. Or, oh man, they've been hurt. Or there's stuff going on that's motivating this. And if I can hang in there, because the Spirit's leading me to hang in there, then you know maybe we can find that common ground. And, and, yeah, and so First Corinthians, the First Corinthians 13 vision of love, like what it means to actually love that person is to be patient with them, to listen to them, to believe all, thing and to believe all things and hope all things. That's part of the definition of love. In politics, and this is something um, the Lord has convicted me and my wife of, in politics, that means not assuming your motives. Like just because you disagree on a policy, not assuming it's because you hate these people or because you want, uh, you know, and not assuming what's motivating your political stance, but asking and being patient enough to listen. Um, loving you looks like not assuming your motives. Um, and that's, that's really key. Uh, especially in this, because it takes a lot of patience. Um, and, and I don't have to be, I may be mischaracterized, I don't have to defend that. Remember the um, First Thessalonians 5 of uh, being sinned and letting it go, not returning evil for evil. That, that translates into our conversations about this of, okay, you said I was you know, X, Y, and Z. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to fight you about that. I can be mischaracterized and it's okay. Um, because I, my, my end is to love you and for us to get closer to truth together. Um, so a lot of these Christian principles, just applying those to, <laughs> to political, yeah, no just, well, I just feel like we don't do that. We don't think about like these, like loving, you know, what it means to love whenever we're debating politics. Um, we just don't do that because that's not how we're built. We're built like you, us versus them, you know, my side versus my tribe versus your tribe. Um, that's not the biblical vision for even just being a good neighbor. And to be fair, there's not a good, you don't, we don't see a model of it out there. Yeah. So how could we expect our coworkers that aren't believing to ha handle themselves in any different way than what we see yeah. exemplified? So if we want to have a different discourse, well, it starts with us. <laughs> yeah. You know, imperfectly, but it starts with us being countercultural because we're standing on uh, God's word in faith. Questions, comments?
expletives. Mm. Are there good resources like to Charlie's point about not trusting anyone mm. media wise, like generally pick you know, I mean without getting a leaning on one side or the other politically speaking, like do you guys have good like suggestions on places you could go online or somewhere to find a, a just plain reading explanation of yeah, so, I mean, on resources, what are good resources to use? Um, on local stuff, you can just, I mean, so Texas Monitor, um, KUT, you know, uh, these types of outlets have, you know, the language of the proposition, and then, uh, you know, like the, um, what is it called? The local monitor or the Austin monitor? I can't say. But um, it's like, you know, for and against arguments on ACE. And KUT has put up some articles like that. That's the best, is to find articles that give you both sides. Don't just say, everybody supporting prop, you know, whatever, is being motivated by dark money and they hate the city and they want, like, that, that's not helpful. So if you see an article and it has one side, close the article and, you know, keep, keep Googling. Um, that, that's really helpful. But there, as far as just biblical principles in general, um, Wayne Grudem has a book called uh, Politics According to the Bible. Um, I don't love the title, but it's, uh, it's, a real, it's a big like encyclopedia of political issues. And he goes issue by issue, um, you know, economics, healthcare, um, immigration, uh, you know, First Amendment issues. He goes through every issue and lays out, uh, you know, biblical principles he thinks apply, uh, you know, common sense kind of assessment of the topic. And then um, there was one other criteria. He's just, but it's, I mean, it's a huge book. It's kind of like a systematic theology type book. Um, that's really helpful is just to read through. And I don't agree with every, all the conclusions he came up with, um, but it helps engage, you know, being m m kind of more holistic approach of when I think about healthcare. I, so I work in bioethics and so um, I care deeply about our healthcare system and, um, but it's a mess. And what are the biblical principles that we bring to the table whenever I think about what a just healthcare system would look like? Uh, and that's really helpful, as he brings up a lot in kind of a systematic type fashion. So I'd point you to that one. But there's a lot of good books that we promote even here at our book table. Um, one Nation Under God by Bruce Ashford is helpful. Um, the Human or, uh, Dignity Revolution uh, by Daniel Darling, I think his name is. Um, you know, there are ministries like the. ERLC that put out really good materials that are trying to glorify God by applying biblical principles to politics and they're getting in trouble with the right which they come from the political right because there are things like immigration and refugees where they're very clear they have very moral clarity we have to say yes to immigrants and yes to refugees then we have to think about what the um, uh, what the security issues are, what the national security questions are. After we say, yes, we want to care for immigrants, we got to commit to that biblical value, and then we can talk about the other political stuff that usually dominates the conversation. And ERLC, even though so they've been putting out these political views, or um, yeah, political views like that, and they're getting criticized from both sides, and that's a pretty good sign that they're actually doing it right. It's not liberal enough, it's not conservative enough, like, oh, it sounds like they might be onto something. <laughs> Judging a political candidate, how do you weigh their stances versus 
Oh, man, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, how do we weigh political candidates, uh, policies versus their character? Um, this is, yeah, so this is a great question, and this was the question of 2016, um, is, is really, okay, uh, you know, how do we handle this? Um, I think it's a case-by-case -case question. Um, I work in the Capitol, and I have had legislators pass legislation um, that does establish justice, does protect patients' rights. We do a lot of patients' rights legislation, like advanced directives, protecting patients' decisions on life and death medical, to, uh, me medical services. And I've had legislators pass legislation um, that no one else could, and they really don't care about my issue. Um, but they were politically situated, and they got the job done for whatever political reasons they carried it. Um, I'm going to use that. Um, whenever I'm talking about in the Capitol, uh, I think I need to be prudent. I need to be wise. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, in politics, there is sometimes when I want to be pragmatic. This comes in voting sometimes also in, when you look at a, at a primary. Um, if you live in a district, well, yeah, so in a primary, you have to pick, you know, which party am I going to vote for? Well, where is the most good you can do? Is it protecting a party? Like, you know, we live in an area where we don't have both parties on the ballot. Uh, in the um, yeah, we don't have both parties um, for specific races. And so I vote in another party's primary to make sure that the better values are represented in the primary. So that's a very pragmatic thinking, because I don't belong to that party. It's very pragmatic, is using my vote to do the most good. Um, and I think that's kind of being wise as serpents, you know, gentle as doves type thing. So there are times when pragmatism comes down to it, and then there are really clear cases where I cannot associate with this person um, in any way. Uh, the way that this individual demeans other humans, um, is not glorifying God, he does, obviously is not upholding uh, you know, the human dignity uh, for all humans. Um, that is the kind of thing that just like, even thinking about my witness to my neighbors. How could I go tell my neighbors I voted for this politician? Uh, and, and them still want to like hear about the gospel, <laughs> hear about how we love others. Um, there are some extreme cases, you know, that have been tested recently, obviously. Uh, and so I, I think we just have to have wisdom. But whenever it comes to politics, um, I think there's room to be very pragmatic, and then there's some hard stops. It's just like for the sake of my witness, um, for the sake of uh, my my testimony to my neighbors, um, and even to my kids. You know, I have children, and they know who our president was. Um, they knew who President Obama was. Um, they knew who Trump was. And um, they, they live in the real world, so they hear things. You know, they hear uh, clips and quotes. And I have to set a good example for them. And so that's why, you know, it, 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 there are extreme cases where it's just like, I can't be pragmatic here. I have to go in my conscience. So, John, like, in that sense, going back to, like, case by case, because I, I sympathize with Shelly, like, sometimes, I'm like, I don't, I'm researching a candidate, and I'm like, well, you say this, this sounds really good, can I trust you, let me look at your, you know, your character, yeah. and, like, you know, sometimes that's a good indicator, but not always. So, trust is a, a different thing, because... Yeah. If I'm pragmatically voting for you, I need to be a, I need to trust that you're actually going to do the things you say. Mm -hmm. So there is a thing of like, 
Well, you ran on for that party last time, and you ran for this party two years ago, and you're just kind of switching like an opportunist. I can't trust anything you say. Mm-hmm. So I can't. So pragmatically, you're not the right tool to achieve good in the city that I want you to. But if you cheat on your wife, hmm, maybe that doesn't <laughs> matter with how you vote, right? Maybe, maybe not. Because I'm just saying that's kind of sometimes that where we go, right? Like you're like, I don't know what to pick. I don't know what to think, but like. You're kind of, you your life's kind of a mess, yeah. you know? And so do I, how much do I factor that in, in terms of, of being co- confident in your, the way that you, you vote in, mm. in, in Congress and all that kind of stuff? Like, you know, it seems really complex. Yeah, yeah, but, but also, like, thankfully, the way that our system works and our political authority is to continue to vote. Mm-hmm. You know, no one is in there, uh, we don't vote for anybody for life, and so, um, if your city council member you know, said they were gonna do this and then you heard their speeches in the meeting and they're not doing that, or they're doing some shady business, you know, they seem to be, have conflict of interest, vote them out. That's the beauty of the system that we have and the political authority that we have is you know, it, it, not putting so much pressure on, you know, well, this person doesn't have enough background to give me an idea, but look at their record. Um, listen to how they pre- behave in city council. Um, yeah, the, so, Maybe you messed up the wrong, maybe you voted for the wrong guy the first time. That doesn't mean you have to vote for him the second time. You know, in primary or like right now, we have uh, our current sitting mayor is being challenged. Um, you know, there's somebody on the ballot and that's a nonpartisan race. Um, they don't identify their, their political parties uh, on the ballot. That's one where you have a mayor who has a record. He has plenty of press conferences out there. He's on, t- you know, he's, he tells you his values and all of these different issues. Um, is that the kind of guy we support? You have more of a record on him than maybe a politician you're talking about mm-hmm. is you're not really sure all these promises if he's going to mm-hmm. succeed. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of take, you know, you can b- relax a little bit in that like, okay, maybe, you know, I take a chance on this guy this time, but, you know, two years or four years, depending on what office he's in, we, we get to come back to this uh, question. So. so you guys were on fire. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. Uh, <clears throat> Tuesday night, Our house. Van Hoover's house. Uh, if you're interested, come. We'll give you the address and all the details. But Tuesday night, um, 6.30, we're going to be going through. If you want to help lead that conversation, do we still have some openings? Yes. Okay, so we assigned different people from City Life different propositions to do the research and to help give us like a three-minute summary of this is the proposition, this looks like what it's going to go for, uh, you know, pros and cons, and then have a uh, roundtable discussion about it. If you want to help that and take a proposition to do a little bit of research on, uh, come talk to us. We'll get you on the Google Sheet and uh, just trying to practice this, applying these principles to specific questions. So. And of course, come even if you're not in a yeah. place to research. Yeah, yeah. Even if you don't want to lead, you just want to come and engage in the conversation or just listen. Uh, we're going to have a lot of people doing that as well. So. No. Yes. You have to leave the next one. That's the <laughs> <laughs> it might be a train. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll close. And then if you guys have other questions or uh, love to continue the conversation. <clears throat> oh, dear Lord, you, uh, you're so gracious and uh, you see us fumbling around with these questions. How do we glorify you in politics? And something that just seems 
um, so full of sin and dishonesty and uh, corruption. And so, uh, Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your grace. Give us wisdom as a community. Give us wisdom as individuals. Um, Lord, just give me a deeper love for my city, a deeper love for my neighbors, um, so that at the end of the day, uh, I can glorify you with how I engage even in something that seems so far from my faith as politics. Thank you for these uh, faithful city lifers who've come to engage this conversation. Uh, Lord, let there be more fruit from this. Uh, let us worship you in uh, all aspects of our life, including politics and uh, civil discourse. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. City Life Church exists to renew cities socially, spiritually, and culturally with the gospel of Jesus.